podcast is brought to you by Welcome all you cutie faithful to your eighth Tarantino Bible study, where each month we sit down and take an intense look at one of the major scenes from this month's movie. I'm your host, the Reverend Scott K, and it is my pleasure to once again welcome back friend of the podcast, making his fifth appearance, the host of the Way Past Cool podcast, the amazing Steve Smith. Together, we will be taking not one, but two deep dives into the gospel of Tarantino this month. We start things off this week by turning to the book of Kill Bill, Volume 1, Chapter 3, The Bride versus Vernita Green scene. Welcome back, Mr. Smith. M.A. Tarantino be with you always. Hello, Scott. Thanks for having me back. Well, I'm glad we're talking about, we're basically talking about my favorite. Well, yeah, this is the problem. This is the problem. Yeah, no, you did say. I think Reservoir yes. Dogs is his best movie. And I think, but Kill Bill is my favorite. So that's kind of a, gotcha. that's, a no, weird, that's... that's a weird sort of concept, but that's how I feel. But it's that's... okay. But that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Now, the last time we spoke, and this is going to be, I mean, you'll be on again, as I have mentioned. We're going to be two of them. So, but it will be your final time for this first season. <laughs> I know. But yes. people are probably saying, well, God, the guy will have been on six times. He's basically a co host. Aren't you guys going to do something together? Wow. And since we last talked, you and I have talked, but uh, you were getting ready. I think we talked about it maybe in March, or maybe it was just you and I talked about it. But you were winding down your 10-year podcast of the Way Past Cool Podcast. And you and I had originally talked about doing a podcast together. And <laughs> due to some unforeseen, unfortunate events, we were going to do a podcast called Dropping a Bruce, where we were going to look at the video on demand, directed DVD catalog of Mr. Bruce Willis. As we were getting ready to think about recording some of those episodes, suddenly the news that Bruce Willis is now not in good health came out before we even started. So we quickly, quickly made a turn, a quick turn to the left and have decided to turn dropping a Bruce into dropping a deuce where we will be. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Sorry to interrupt this episode, but like the two fuck nuts that we are, we have changed direction with our podcast idea once again. Coming September 6th, 2022, Steve and myself will be debuting our new monthly podcast called The Cheeky Bastards. Each episode, the two of us will be giving a not-so-popular hot take on a film, show, actor, director, franchise, or character that we hope like hell will chafe some asses and hurt some feelings, maybe even our own. 
I have no doubt we will either engage in a foul language-filled debate or stand firmly and proudly with each other's controversial hot take. Either way, it should be pretty damn entertaining. So if you're some pearl-clutching candy ass who can't handle people having a different opinion than yours, or you get queasy at the idea of somebody taking a shit on things you hold dear, then this definitely won't be the podcast for you. But if you can handle criticism and opposing opinions about some of your favorite pop culture properties, then we hope you'll join us this fall. Now back to your regularly scheduled Bible study. And now it's time to open your Tarantino Bibles to the book of Kill Bill, Volume 1, Chapter 3. For those of you who have had the beautiful luxury of seeing Kill Bill, Volume 1 as we're going to call it today, but the entire Kill Bill movie, the Volume 1 and the Volume 2, there are some amazing, amazing action scenes, and this is Tarantino's first foray into action. And nothing sets it better than this technically opening scene. I mean, we get the prelude where... We see the bride get shot. We So we get the information of why we're about to go on this, should I say, revenge flick of epic proportions because we get a little scene. We know that she was a bride. She seems pregnant. Some guy named Bill shoots her in the head. And just before he does, he, she says it's his baby. We get a great opening title sequence, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, we have basically the sound of an ice cream truck playing music. We have this vehicle pull up in front of a suburban home in lovely California. And we have the badass Miss Uma Thurman step out and walk up to the door. So when you first see it, you have no idea what's coming. You know, and like, we're just like, okay, where is this leading to? Who is this? Because the sign says the bells. In fact, the bell sign on the mailbox at the beginning of chapter one was given to Uma Thurman's stunt double, Zoe Bell, by Quentin Tarantino. Zoe presented to her parents the bells. Now, what I love about this is so much is set up the first time. So much is set up in this scene, but the first time viewer isn't aware of it. You know, we get the suburban house and there are toys in the yard, which instantly tells us there's a family with at least one kid. And while we watch her ring the doorbell, the bride turns back over her shoulder and looks back into the yard. And we see her looking at the kids' toys. Yeah. Now, for the first time viewer, you're not paying attention to this. But this is totally setting up the fact that she has lost a child. She realizes the door she's knocking on has at least one child and that there's a family. And you can see that doesn't sit well with her. Whether that she's worried that she's going to have to kill someone in front of their kid or whether she may have to kill their kid. Like, you don't know, especially when you start to go back to other viewings. Now, you had the information. But there's so much set up in just a subtle little moment in that beginning that we just kind of overlook it because we're just so amped up and ready for the revenge to begin that I just was re-watching it again today and yesterday. I just love that little moment. You know, we've talked about it in a lot of my other guests. Nothing in a Tarantino film is by accident. Every single shot is there for a reason between him and Sally Mackey, who edited this. They put these shots in because it's telling you a story without having to have any kind of like voiceover, you know, to lead you up to where you are in the story. Well, not to backtrack too much, but at the beginning when it's the black and white and she says, just before Bill shoots her, or just before she gets shot, did you did you know the first time you saw it that she was pregnant? You know, when she says, Bill, it's your baby. So can, can you re- I cheated. I cheated a bit because... When this movie came out, I was actually in Iraq. I got to see this in the theaters because it was re-released like a week or two before Volume 2 came out, which I was home for. Right. So this came out in October of 03, so I was already there about six, seven months. So I was able to watch it on a stolen burn disc over there. So again, it was like, it had like Muslim subtitles. So 
it was, you know, it wasn't the greatest quality, but still, yeah, you yeah. know, it's good watching it. But I had heard about this and I actually was able to get the screenplay on joeblow.com, which I don't know if that's still around anymore, but you can get screenplays up there. So I read one of the versions of the screenplay. So I did know she was pregnant, but I'll be honest with you. I read it prior to leaving. I couldn't remember everything once I got mm. there. You know what I mean? Like well, after seeing it, because it had been, you know, some events had happened in the meantime. So I did know, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to go back to when I, obviously, when I, I, I saw it when it came out uh, initially. And I'm just trying to remember if when she says, Bill, it's your baby. Because that's just as she says the second syllable of, ba- you know, baby. That, yeah, that, the gun goes yeah, off. So I'm just trying to remember if I actually, at that point, knew straight away that she was pregnant because you've got that dark intro and then yep. as soon as she pulls up in the pussy wagon Quentin Tarantino owns the pussy wagon and drove it as his everyday vehicle to promote the release of Kill Bill Volume 2 in 2004 he licensed use of it for the Missy Elliott music video I'm Really Hot and it also appears in the music video for Telephone by Lady Gaga and Beyonce it's a very colourful su- pretty suburban mm-hmm. home and like you say she walks up the path like you say and you've got the to- you've got the toys. Um, so now I'm now you're painting that picture. You know, it's just making me think about the whole. Yeah, were we really? I mean, I know. You know, were we really aware she'd lost her baby? Well, I, at that even point? thinking about it when you and I were going to do this, even thinking about the scene before I rewatched it, I can, you know, I'm just remembering that what I'm about to talk to next, but where she just kind of, you know, with this movie wastes no time at that point, right? She gets up to the door, we ring the door, but when she answers the door, it's like door opens, we get the amazing, I call it the revenge jingle, which lets us know that whoever was in front of her pissed her off. Although the siren heard before the bride goes on a rampage is credited to Quincy Jones' theme from the television show Ironside from 1967, it is more of an homage to the Shaw Brothers' Kung Fu classic Five Fingers of Death from 1972, also known as King Boxer. The U.S. release of Five Fingers of Death used the siren from the Ironside theme whenever its protagonist went on a vengeful rampage. All of a sudden realize we're going to get code names now because we get her code name put up there. Vivica Fox's character, Bernita Green's original code name was Cobra before it was eventually changed to Copperhead for the film. It's in the flashback. We get to see her punched and land, and when she lands, she's in the bride gown and she's pregnant, and then we look up at Bernita Green looking down at her, and then we cut back, and it's Punch that bitch in the motherfucking face. Just, and oh, then yeah. we just go from there. It's just fucking a whirlwind fight. Now, I believe this is one of the best mono mono fight sequences, especially in this in this film series, in, in the Kill Bills. But maybe again, I know, I know this is probably tainted because it's Tarantino. But when I rewatched it again today, there is no over-the-top fighting. Like one of the best scenes I've seen like this was the hallway hammer fight in old boy phenomenal fight inside very realistic but for an action sequence for us to see which isn't just one still shot where there's two highly trained people fighting there's no over the top there's no like roundhouse kicks or backflips or any of that kind of crazy things very straightforward yeah fighting yeah absolutely it just feels very real there's no wasted punches it's just an insane fight she punched her in the face they kind of go at it it's probably about a good two to three minutes of them just brawling yeah none of the fight feels wasted you know there's no special moves or tactics or wires i was going to say yeah there's no wire work or any of that bullshit it's all like real like like you say just like a brawl but it's just so fierce and gritty and gritty and like you, like you pointed out earlier, you know, this is, as Tarantino said himself, he's throwing his hat in the ring of the action movie. And, you know, yeah, they're just literally destroying the Bonita Green's house, just kicking, <laughs> yes. kicking the absolute yes. 
crap out of each other. <laughs> yes. And like we say, yeah, it's just so fierce and just gritty and just like in your face. And like you said, you know, we've never oh, we've never yeah. seen Tarantino do this before, and and he's just got such total command of it. He really does. I mean, it takes a little bit of home urban warfare to a whole new level. Like you said, they're beating each other's ass with stuff they can find. You know, like Vernita Green's hitting her with like the the poker from the fireplace. Yeah. She throws this whole bench of plates down. They go through a glass table. They go into a, a window. They're fighting in, you know, the dining room. They're using pans. Like, they're just going at each other. I mean, they're brawling with whatever they can find. It's like a no-holds-barred WWE type of thing where they can use whatever you find, you can use and beat the shit out of each other with. And they do it, but it's so realistic. Like, you don't feel like you're being cheated. You know, there's a lot of movies you can watch out there. You know, the fight sequences, you're like, okay, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, Jason Statham in, like, a movie like The um, the Transporter. He yeah. straps on some fucking yeah. bicycle pedals and fights a guy in oil floor in a bus. Yeah. I mean, like, what the fuck is this yeah. bullshit? Yeah, I mean, this doesn't feel choreographed. This feels like a just total... Punches, kicks, throws. Yes, was, yes. And they're making the grunts. It seems like and, two women who really hate each other, but yeah, also and, know that they have to survive. Like the other one is yeah, just yeah. as deadly, and they can't. And they're making the grunts and the growls, and they're just fucking going for it. And like you say, you know, the, the film has literally been on for like four minutes. You know, I mean, yes, and that's, yes. and that's including the, the you know Nancy Sinatra, you know, um, song at, at the beginning. You know, so so it's just like. Like, you know, you get the little prologue, like the 30 second prologue, you get the and the music intro and then she fucking knocks on the door, the door opens and bang, it's right in there. Yeah. It. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, none of the, none of the snappy dialogue, you know, that you used no. to get. No, you know, I know, right? Well, because, you know, it's just like, just right in there. A lot of the cold opens we get, even from Tarantino, like you said, they're, they're wordy. We got a, a pretty violent one. And so you don't expect the very first real scene to be... Just boom, we're gonna fucking kick, kick each other's asses. You yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. after this, it kind of slows down until we get to the House of Blue Leaves. We don't get a whole lot of more action un until then. Yeah. And like you're saying, the grunt stuff. I rewatched it twice again today, and I love that Vivica Fox's character, Vernia. She is talking shit. Yeah. Being tight. And once once she dumps the the table onto um the bride, and she goes and grabs the butcher's knife, like she is talking shit the entire fucking time. Even after they calm down, like she is just absolutely. I love that she just. Like, what you got? Come on, the fucking. Yeah, she just, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Fucking crazy. It's so no, it's awesome. Just, it, yeah, and it, and you can just imagine what this is like. Okay. I got. A, I'm doing an action movie. Let's fucking let's just get right in. Yeah. There, oh. You know. You know? And that, Fox and that, is so good in this movie. In this just moment. To get his actors ready for the grueling demands of their action sequences, Tarantino put his stars through three months of intense martial arts, sword fighting, and weight training. The cast spent eight hours a day, five days a week, studying martial arts at a gym they put together in Culver City. And what Vivica Fox has said made her feel like she was training for the damn Olympics or something. I don't think I was actually familiar with her until I saw Kill Bill. You know, she's been in a lot of different films, but this is her piece de resistance. Yeah, this, this, is, is, this is the one. Yeah, like, this you is know, the one. this is yeah. the one. She's awesome in this. Not... I'm just surprised she didn't get more out of it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of characters in movies of his that I'm. I'm surprised didn't get better roles after being in this in all of his films. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At least they've got that. You know, that's that's not a bad yes, little um, agreed. Not a little, not a bad little thing to have on your track record. You know, on your resume. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your resume. Now, why do we think the bride didn't bring her Hanzo sword with her? Because in succession, in the actual yeah. timeline, chronological order, this is after House of Blue Leaves, and we find that out at the end of this scene anyway. 
But this is post taking out O-Rent and the crazy 88. She has the Hanzo sword. She's gone all the way over there to get it. Why do you think she doesn't bring it in? Maybe because you can bring a samurai sword in, uh, into the country, but not out. <laughs> Remember, because she's got on the yeah, plane. Yeah, well, maybe, they got yeah. on the plane, haven't they? Haven't they, haven't they got, like... Yeah, yeah. Japanese air pretty much seems like you, everyone's just carrying samurai swords. Yeah. It's like they're cup holders. Yeah, so, yeah, you can't bring them back <laughs> to America, but you can, no. bring, you can take them out of America. Yeah, you know. So I don't know, man. Despite the bride having a Tori Hanzo craft a sword specifically for her to exact revenge against Bill, she only uses it successfully once against Oren Ishii and the Crazy 88 in Volume 1. All of the bride's other targets were killed by other means. I think it's because she's in a suburban setting, you know, and like she's walking up the door. And when she rings the doorbell, she probably doesn't know who's going to answer the door. Like she's hoping it's going to be Vernita. But I think that's why she looks over her shoulder and she goes, oh, shit, what happens if the kid answers the door? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. She might be, yeah, so... She's out for blood here, and I think maybe she just wants to fucking get right in there with her fist this time, you know? Well, that's why I think she also has the special forces knife on her side. I think yeah, she's yeah. like, this is what I'm going to use because I bring, you know, what if, she, what if the husband's home or whatever? Walking up to the door with a samurai sword is, you know, hey, it's not inconspicuous. How about, this? So. how about this? The samurai sword is business. Yeah, it means business. But again, also, yeah. as we'll learn in our second Bible study where she still has it, and they fight in tight spaces. It's not a great weapon in tight spaces. It actually go. causes a lot of problems. Well, yeah. well obviously, so, the, the second one we're going to discuss, we, obviously, um, that's a surprise fight. Yes, and and also, it's different to carry a samurai sword into a trailer in the middle of the desert as opposed to into this beautiful home in the middle of suburban California. Well, but what I mean is she's not expecting this to happen in the second fight, whereas this is calculated. Yes. It's calculated. Yes. Zanita Green calculated so she agreed she knows what she needs to bring with her but she's you know she may be intending to she may not realize the fight she's got on her hands when she goes yeah. Speaking of Vernita and the great acting job that both these they do, but the subtleties, I think, a lot of times are lost. And I try to bring them up every time, whether it's in the main worship episodes or in these Bible studies. But the great acting job that Vernita does when it's that great master shot of the two of them standing there, mano mano, we're looking out the window and we can see the school bus pull up. Then we get that, like, the close up of Vernita's face. And you can see her go from badass warrior to panicking mom. It flips. Yeah. Like she's talking, she yeah. come on, bitch, let's go. We go. We and all of a sudden she sees the bus. And now mom insects kick in. And now she's worried about, oh shit, because she knows what she's done to our friend here, the bride. And she's wondering how far is the bride coming? Because we'll get into it in a second too, but she's heard possibly about the story of O'Ren in the 88. Like I think she has been made aware that the bride is oh, on yeah, foul. Yeah, yeah. She'll yes. She's because she makes she's a comment a little bit. We'll get that, into yeah. And I just love that face. If, if, you, if the listeners get a chance, and even you, just rewatch it when they cut to the close-up of her after that great shot, and just the panic in her eyes, and you can see then the great, you know, obviously uh, reaction shot from then the bride from Miss Uma Thurman. She kind of in her face goes, "All right, we got, you know, I'm gonna have to yeah. halt my well, revenge right now." Because even her mother instincts, even though she, you know, at the time doesn't know her daughter's no, alive, absolutely. she thinks she's lost her, so she still has that like. That instinct. Can, that know, instinct. This isn't about the daughter. This is about you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, when when the when the school bus pulls up, there is a certain I don't know, and like Tension. black sort of yeah, but a black comedy aspect to it. Like, oops, you know, like then we better stop. Yeah. We better stop this. We better stop trying to kill each other because your daughter's coming <laughs> up. Because your daughter's coming up the path. You know, there's like a certain little uh, I don't know, a playful kind of com. A very subtle comedy. Yeah, I agree. It's not, it's not like, you know, winking at the audience as such. It's just a, there's a, a <laughs> there is a certain comedy to that. And like you say, it becomes 
The house is trash. Well, that's the funny part, right? So, like, when you're watching the film, if you're into it for the fight sequence, you miss out on some of the underlying humor that's there. That if, like, you, like, have sarcastic humor or just dark humor. But, like, she's trying to sell when her daughter walks in. She's trying to sell that this dog that we never see. Who can I mention? This dog that is that there is a dog. Because in the next scene, in the overhead shot, when she walks in and, she, and we get the voiceover from, from the bride, we see a dog bowl, a food bowl, and a water dish. So yeah. there is a dog somewhere. Yeah. We just never see it. No. What a piece of shit dog this is, first off. Shitty guard dog. That's in the that fi- dog it- does not come down once. Doesn't even appear. There is... All kinds of hell breaking loose. Even if it's like scared, like it doesn't bark, it doesn't make an appearance, it doesn't come to defender. Like it just hangs the fuck out wherever it is. And it's like I'm not dealing with this bullshit. I'm telling you, that dog is in the backyard digging up one of Vanita Green's previous victims. Maybe, but even <laughs> then, I mean, you would think dogs have great hearing. It would have heard the commotion going on and would have barked. Let's not bring. Re- or even when the school bus pulls up, it would have barked for the excitement. The child coming home. Let's not bring reality into this. Okay. <laughs> True. But that also brings me to the comedic point. That if you think about it, how big a fucking dog do they have that they, Bernita believes her daughter's going to buy that he just, I mean, demolished the living room. Like she hasn't even taken a look into the dining room where they flipped a table. Like there's all kinds of mayhem throughout this entire house. And she's like, that no good for nothing dog of yours. Yeah. Acted the fool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even she used to like, yeah. Like, what? Well, because if you listen to her say, she goes, "What happened to you in the in the room?" Yeah, yeah. Like she she sees her mom's bleeding, and she's like, "The dog did this." Like even <laughs> at four years old, she's like, what? "Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's all part of the comedy of it and uh, the kind of farcical kind of vibe that's going but on." But you miss out on it because you're so you because you're so engrossed in them getting the revenge. But like if you if you know the story and you can watch it with just like kind of like enjoying it again, eyes. You know, like, you know how everything's going to end. It's like a surprise. Yeah. Like, you can really start to look into these films and start being like, man, that is some funny shit. Like, what size dog must they have to be able? Because it would have been funny if also, like, a chihuahua came around the corner or something. That would have been, like, a little. That would have been. Probably been a step too far. Yeah, that might have been a step too far. But that would have been. But it might have landed. That would have been. He would have made that funny than anyone else. Yes. But, yeah, so then I guess. I guess they stop and go into the kitchen and um Well yeah, my question is do they even does she believe that her daughter is going to believe her? Like like she's bloody. I mean, I'm a parent. I guess sometimes you just tell kids things and you just think they're going to believe them because you're an adult and kids sometimes just believe what adults say. Yeah. You know, I mean, well I can't without I, question, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I I can't speak on that, I guess, but um <laughs> well you, you don't worry. You're, you're, sometimes you're not missing. Anymore, I, right? I'm not, sometimes got, you are, but sometimes you're also not. So I, I haven't got any children. So when an assassin comes to my front door, that's just one of them things I haven't got to worry about explaining. True. So, you know, I lucked out there. But also in this scene, we learned that what the bride's real name is, we're not going to learn for a while. Like, it's yeah, bleeped, bleeped out, out twice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Despite being bleeped out the film twice in this scene and three times total in volume one, the name of the bride is revealed on her plane tickets to Okinawa and Tokyo. But once you watch it the first time, and now you know the name is Beatrix, every time I see it, I can, one, read it on their lips, and I can kind of hear them saying it in the beep. 
But I remember the first time in the movie theater, I was like, oh, I don't, what's your fucking name? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, you just don't know. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember distinctly when I saw it the first time, I thought, this is different. Yes. I've never seen this before. Have you ever, can you think of another film where they did that? The only movie I can think of where didn't learn the person's name, and that was intentional, was uh, a fantastic movie, uh, an English movie, Layer Cake. Right. Daniel Craig's character yes. in that. You yes. never know his name. His name is never set. Right. And he even mentions it at the end. That you don't even know his name. But other than that, I've never seen a movie, and I'm probably going to have to go back and research, and I probably should have, but I didn't even think about it, what movie he may have seen back in the day that, you know, hid people's names and, and why. Yeah. Because it's not like it's a huge reveal, but it, it is weird. Like, it's, you know, it's just something fun. Like, it's just something fun to do. Yeah, a little affectation, just a little thing that he's done there where you sort of think, that's new. I've never seen, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with another film that's done that, really. And that is kind of, this isn't a gripe. But I do wonder why I did it at all. That's what I mean. Like, you know, doing all the research I did for this, it's the one thing I was just kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, that's just what we do in this movie. And now I'm like, son of a bitch. Yeah, as you've pointed out, that is potentially a nod to some ultra obscure... To something, yes. I would imagine imagine possibly a martial arts movie. Has to be. Or something. I apologize. We'll figure it out. In volume one, the bride is a cold, violent killing machine. She lacks compassion and mercy. That is why QT didn't want us to hear her name. To hear her name is to identify with her. Her name gives the character something to live up to, a labeling. That label was murdered in a Texas wedding. It isn't until volume two that we find out what her name is once it's revealed that her daughter is still alive. At that moment, she is given feeling. She has compassion. Part of her old life is brought back with her daughter, so her name can be restored once again. Another great genius nod, whether he did that intentionally, you know, that part, but he winds us up for this great fight, this great, we're going to get revenge, and then he just basically... Stops it dead. Pulls the train or stops it dead and goes, nope, we're going to do something else. If you watch it again, Nikki, not only does she not trust what her mother saying, but she doesn't trust the bride at all. She looks at her every time like she does not trust this yeah. woman at all. Yeah, she's got her, she's got her own instincts. Yeah, she's like, mm, I don't trust this woman at all. Again, like we had our conversation on the Tarantino birthday special. It would be interesting to see, you know, if that ever were to play out. But it's that lack of trust mm. that could lean her to the side of Ella Driver before she finds out what her mother really did, even though she makes the statement. But Vernita, as I'm doing the research, I mean, I'm really taking a detective's eyes on this, rewatching it. She does have that statement when Vernita says to her, you know, that's more compassion. The bill led me to believe you had or whatever. It's that statement that makes us realize it's not a throwaway line. And she's not talking about in the past. She's talking about recently. So it leads me to believe that Bill has already reached out to her. Because I think in the same moment as this is happening, I feel like in the same exact moment that the bride is fighting Vernita, that scene we get at the beginning of Kill Bill Volume 2, where Bud and Bill are having their conversation, mm-hmm. and he's telling her about how he just went through the crazy... I think he's making his rounds to the people who are no longer in the organization, which would be those two, because obviously Elle's still working for him, that you got to be careful. So I think he already talked to Vernita, but I don't think she thought she was going to find her because she changed her name to Jeannie Bell, and she's actually Vernita Green. And she's basically made, and she's made a new life for herself. Almost, yes. almost as if, yes. almost like witness protection. Do you know what I mean? She's a different person. She's living in the suburbs. She's got a watch. She's got kids, a dog, and a husband. You know. Yeah. So she's. Yeah, she's, yeah. It's almost like witness protection, as far as she's concerned. She's coaching T-ball. I can't imagine what that's like. <laughs> what kind of coach she is? <laughs> yeah. So you know, you've got uh, so you've got this situation where, yeah, Vanita Green is pretty sure she's been um, she's been warned. You know, to be off. Yes, yes. Uh, again, 
it wasn't until getting ready to do this one that I really, you know, it really kind of crystallized to me because, you know, you watch the movie, you see the fight, you're not really paying attention to it, you know what's going to happen. But it's when you start to sit there and actually kind of dissect the scenes, you start to realize the things that are there that have always been there that you just kind of glazed over because you're just so enamored with the story. And that was one of the things I've kind of caught the last yeah. three times I've watched it. Well, because when she opens the door, there's just shock on her face, isn't there? Yeah, she's like, oh, shit. Yeah, like, yeah. She's like, oh, shit, she found me kind yeah, of thing. And then punch yeah, in the yeah. face. Yeah. And, then, and then we're in... And the away we're, we go. Yeah, we're in the thick of it. Yeah, straight away. Like, and that's, and that's like, you know, go back to it. But that's just like straight in there, you know? No fucking around. Love it. You know, we're just... Love it. And then, yeah, and then there's that, the discussion in the kitchen we sort of come to where they... Uh, of, kind of hash it out. Well, yeah, tempers of perhaps. Well, to kind of double back on what you were kind of talking about, I'm, as I'm thinking about it, as you're talking about it, she has the knife on her. Mm. And so I think that when she goes to ring the doorbell, her looking back and seeing the toys, because think about it, she, you know, like you said, ring the doorbell, punch her in the face. All she really has to do is ring the doorbell. She's there when she opens the door, stab her in the neck. It's over with, like done. No fight needed. There's no satisfaction. But it's the toys. No, I know, but 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 it's the toys in the driveway that make her hesitate. That make her hesitate and wait. Like she, that's why she's not armed. Yeah. She, that's why she doesn't already have the knife ready. She has to hesitate because she's not sure who's going to answer the door. Yeah. She realizes that this is a domesticated version of Vernita Green. Yeah, and and that there's a, a husband and a daughter possibly, and she doesn't know who's answering this door. Kind of maternal instinct sort of takes over slightly, where she thinks, "I don't know what to do now." She probably hadn't considered this herself. <laughs> yes. You know, so yeah, yes. yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, but um, that, yep. yeah, that that is true. That when she sees the, like you say, when she sees the toys, that kind of um, stops her in her tracks. Flips a switch in her. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Where she thinks, uh, and like you say, it's that maternal instinct that kicks in. That well, you know, although she doesn't know she's a mother. Yeah. Well, she, well one way <laughs> yes, or another. Yes. One way or another, she is or was she she felt it yes exactly but she feels it and um yeah and that's and that's but then at the same time i kind of think maybe she wants to dish out some fucking slaps and punches yeah. and kicks <laughs> and we're in there and the house is getting torn to pieces yeah and then they chill the fuck out and it has one of my favorite callbacks in all of his movies it's so subtle it's done so well it's not cheesy because it's a funny moment in pulp fiction but when she talks about getting even it's being square, and she yes. air draws the square just like she did in Pulp Fiction. But it's such a different way of doing it. You can feel the emotional weight behind it because she is really still reeling. We're probably a couple of months since she's woken up because it's like a month that it takes for Hanzo to build the sword. So we're probably three, four months down the road from when she's come to. Mm-hmm. You know, when she says that would be square, it just it's such a great callback because she's the actual character, obviously the actress who did it in Pulp Fiction, which was done in this kind of like almost flirty way with John Travolta's character. You know, oh, don't yeah. be square. And she draws yeah. a little square. And they do little dots in the air. Little animation. It's yeah. just such a great subtle callback. Great use of using it. Yeah, and glad he. I'm glad he didn't do the. I'm glad he didn't do the animation. Agreed, because it didn't. It didn't fit the moment. No. But again, to have the belief and the ability in yourself to do that. To be like, I've done this before. I'm going to call it back because it's the same actress. You're going to see it, but it's going to feel more nostalgia than it's going to feel like, oh, you know, cheap. It's going to fit in this moment the way, you know, the way that she's going to deliver this this monologue to her. So I don't know. Every time I see it, like the more and more I see it, the more and more, maybe because I'm getting older, it just I just hits me just around. Like, yeah. ah, I love that little, just a little nod. Just that little wink there. Just that little moment. Yeah, just fantastic. 
it's just done, but it's it's done with like real reverence to his his, his stuff. I mean, because this is his second film since Pulp Fiction, and many would say that you know this is in his his two thousands. This is where he stretches his, his legs. This is where he becomes the filmmaker we know him as. Great stuff he did in the nineties. Yeah, a lot of it crime. This is where he said, "Watch what I can do in every genre I love." And I'm going to do it the best, better than it's been done. You got to remember that uh, between Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown, that's kind of in the same kind of world. Yeah, agreed. Reservoir Dogs to Jackie Brown is it all kind of the, in that. Cr- is the California criminal? You know, to element. go from Jackie yes. Brown to Kill Bill, you are kind of yes. That's a jump. That is a massive leap. In fairness, that's like Luke's, uh, not Luke Skywalker. George Lucas went from American Graffiti to Star Wars. Think about that. Literally, literally the same thing. American Graffiti is George Lucas's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in my opinion. It's his love letter to the 1950s. Yeah. As, love as, that as, era. As he the remem- era of the as, 50s. As he remembered yes, it. Yes, as he remembered it. And beautiful story. And then also he, he starts the greatest pop culture phenomenon to ever hit. Well, uh, yeah, no uh, doubt. Current current time. No doubt. With Star Wars. And, you know, I mean, it just it exploded. But you're like, that's a jump, too. You know, I may be a more significant jump from American Graffiti to Star Wars. But, yeah, it's a big, It's I mean, it's a huge jump from four deaths, a very talky picture in Jackie Brown, to six years later, all of a sudden, kill fucking Bill. And he, like, introduces himself back in. With this amazing opening scene. Yeah, incredible. Now, I'm not sure if you caught this. And I just, again, it's amazing how many things you see. It's right in front of your face. And unless you're really starting to look at things, you just it just blows past you. And it um, sometimes upsets me that I miss these things. But the spoon that Vernita gets out of the drawer, and it's the only spoon in the drawer like this, is the exact color scheme of the pussy wagon. It is yellow and red rubberized. Spoon, right? It's unbelievable that it's the only thing in the drawer. Everything else is silver. Everything else is your normal silver silverware, and this only spoon is like a kid's spoon, but it is of red and yellow right. coloring. It just like the pussy wagon. It's just such a, an amazing nod that they've got by me. For, I mean, what? This is almost twenty years later. I, I missed it every time until now. I'm getting ready to talk to you. I'm like, holy shit, Scott. How the fuck did you miss that this is the exact fucking color scheme that the fucking pussy wagon is? that's because, you know, it doesn't signpost this stuff, does it, you know? No, because you see it once. She grabs it, and that's it. Once she pulls it out of the drawer, I never see the spoon again. She probably sets on the counter to get the kaboom and stuff, but it's there. The funny thing is, is it's an overhead close-up shot. Why would he show that? He's doing it just to give you an idea. Yeah. You just miss it. Yeah, you're in a different you're in a different world now, you know. Yes. Of all these odd odd little references and things that Yes. But don't doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you don't don't notice it, you know? Good for you if you do notice it, but it doesn't Yeah. It took me almost twenty years, so look at me. I'm gonna pat myself in the back. <laughs> no, you deserve it. I don't think I noticed that. <laughs> I don't think I knew that too, just said it. I never really thought about that before. I know. Again, like I said, when you look at, when you watch a scene and you're preparing to talk about it and you like really look at the scene, that's all of a sudden you go, oh shit, look at that. Oh shit, look at this. Well, that's what, that's what episodes like this allow you to, you know. Oh, agreed. Agreed. It's just to see things. It's one of the reasons I decided to do them. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just in a different light, you know. One thing, you know, with modern directors like, like Tarantino, like Rodriguez, like Edgar Wright, they know that you're going to watch these films, you know, if they've done it, if they've done their job. Yes, they make very rewatchable yeah. films. And if you're going to rewatch them, they're going to be sure to put. I guess they call them Easter eggs now. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it would be an Easter I egg. Yeah, but so, but that's a very very subtle one. That that one that that particular one. So many cool little things. Yeah. Now speaking of 
Kaboom. Kaboom cereal was a circus-themed breakfast cereal produced by General Mills that contained oat cereal bits shaped like smiling clown faces with marshmallow-shaped bears, lions, elephants, and stars. The cereal originated in 1969, but was discontinued in 2010. We learned two things about Kaboom cereal. It's an excellent cereal box for concealing small caliber handguns. You can get a 22 in there pretty easily without anyone noticing. Handy to know. The second is it seems to drastically affect the direction of a bullet when it's fired from inside it, though, because she misses dramatically to the right. That causes a little bit of problems for her. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, and it explodes like the cereal goes I love, fucking I everywhere. I love that that cereal fucking splatters that wall. I love that. It's like it embeds itself into the yeah, wall. There are yeah. pieces in the wall. You're yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah. But that also then allows us to learn two things about the bride. One, she's got Olympic soccer caliber accuracy when it comes to kicking coffee cups at people. Because <laughs> if her Nina doesn't dodge it, she's getting it right to the face. Like, it's like, go, like, right to the fucking face. She's getting a mug to the mug if she doesn't dodge it quickly. Yeah. The second thing is she's even more accurate at throwing knives because she throws it dead center, hits her right in the heart. And what I love about the scene is once you see Vernita like slide off and drop, they cut to Uma and she's like followed through, like her arm is straight as if she just threw a football and she's like getting pointed for like, like she was demonstrating how to throw and her arm is full follow through, still pointing at the target. It's like, she's like a consummate professional. Like, yeah. She doesn't half-ass it. No. She stays on target until it's all done. With Olympic precision. She's just like, oh, <laughs> unreal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, she talks later like she's the most deadly woman in the world with a gun or whatever. I think she's the most deadly woman in the world, period. Like she, what does she miss? She's with? just, yeah, no, she is the most deadly woman in the world. And I, and that was, I remember distinctly that when she shoots the gun through the cereal box, that fucking yes. shot, that was a shock. I didn't see that coming. Yes. I definitely didn't see that coming. No, no, me either. You know. And what great tongue in cheek he puts it in a box of kaboom. No, no that, that's, that's just. It's, it's totally hilarious, but it just fucking works. It's kind of ridiculous, but yet it works so well that he yeah. puts it in a box of kaboom. Yeah. What else, I mean, what are you going to put it in? Yeah. A box of life cereal? Like, the other great thing is if you put it in a box like that or maybe in tricks, something that's colorful because when it explodes and that cereal goes everywhere, yeah. it leaves such colorful imprints everywhere. And then she's stepping on it and crunching it. Ah, it's just the sound design is so yeah. good. And I, do, and I do think that um, if they would have just started to fight again, that would have been too fast. Yes. That would have been too fast. I, I agree. Too farcical. And that had just been a bridge too far, really. That would just been a little bit too... Well, I mean, they just decided they're going to fight at night. Yeah, no, but you know what I mean? If they would have just, like, the door's gone, yeah. right, let's start again. You know, yeah, that, that, I know. that would just felt a little bit too humorous. He's filled it with all these groovy little touches, but it's, you know... It's a dead serious revenge movie, you know? Well, I think he realizes that if he's going to have her shoot through the box of cereal, that's that's endgame right there. Yeah. If she fires and misses, then the bride's going to kill her. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's, one, it's that mentality yes. of, like, if, if she gets her, then she's she's done, the, it's over with, well, you know? Well, so you know, this, it, it, that's yeah. the last move yeah, this, in the game. this whole interaction is one of us is fucking dead, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's like one of yes. us is going to die here, and, you, well, we know. Well, the great thing is, is like you said, we don't think it's going to happen because we're all like, oh, there's going to be a knife fight at night? First time you watch, you're like, oh, shit, we're going to have a knife fight. Tonight. Oh, this is going to be cool as fuck. Can't wait to see this segment. And then all of a sudden, it's it doesn't all, happen yeah. because... It's all set up. Because oh, gunshot, knife to the chest, game well, over. Well, it's all set up. But obviously, the reason Anita wants to kill her now, because 
if they have a knife fight at night, she probably knows she's going to fucking lose. Well, she probably is also, now you think about it, that she's got a Hanzo sword. And so her knife isn't going to do shit without Hanzo yeah, sword. Yeah, true. She's like, she's on my home court right now. She doesn't know I have this. I've got to do this right now. Yeah. And her, her daughter probably doesn't even have cereal <laughs> as a snack. You know what I mean? Like, so such a great setup. Yeah. No, that, that was... Which I love when she pulls the knife out. What a great shot. That kind of low angle. We're behind Vernita. Yeah. We watch the bride pull out the knife and clean up. And then she stands up. There's Nikki standing right behind her such such a great shot i love that framing yeah and you know you know she's not in any danger nikki you know no no no, no do you know what i mean no. because like there's a lot of mean yeah spirit. there's a lot of mean spirited movies out there but with with led you to think oh shit she's going to kill the fucking little girls but yeah there's plenty of films like that but you you know you know, I don't know if that's the charisma and presence of Uma Thurman that you just know that nothing dark is going to happen here. Well, I think well, the, we knew the minute that she pulled the knife behind her when the bus showed up. Exactly. That yeah, gave exactly, us the moment. Because yeah, if she was going true. to, she'd kill her mom now and kill her. You know what I mean? She, yeah, has, yeah. The, she has the upper hand in that moment. She doesn't yeah, use it. She didn't need to take any prisoners. But you knew that was uh, the, the door was safe. And then she says, the, you know. Yeah. Well, how much of a badass is little Nikki? She doesn't scream and she doesn't cry. She just stands there like almost as badass as the bride. I mean, she's almost tougher than her mom. Like she stands there like you almost kind of go, has she seen shit like this before? Because she is not phased. She's not upset. Like her mom is dead in front of her. Yeah. And her whole face is just kind of like, I always like almost like she knew that's what's yeah. going to happen. Like she well, knew I would, the bride would, was going to get her. I would say in 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 a real situation, she would be screaming and running around the place and trying to get out of the house. But. With, with the, but she like, is Vernita Green's daughter, so there is something to add to that. Well, I don't think she's. I, mean, I don't want to be mean, but I don't think she was raised on pigtails and My Little Ponies all the time either. I think yeah. she has a little bit of defense, self defense in her. But you are in the Tarantino universe here, where you know things don't necessarily go the way you would expect them to. Well, whether Vernita Green expects the bride to ever come back, she's done some shit in her life. So she and she changed her name for a reason. So she's definitely got her daughter prepared. I don't you know. I'm not saying that her daughter's suddenly going to, you know, start throwing ninja stars and taking the bride <laughs> out. But her daughter, you know what I mean? I think her daughter definitely has has a little bit of self-defense training in her. Like her mom is, didn't, raise no, didn't raise no bitch. No, maybe not. Maybe not. But, you know, we, we're, we're in a very unique universe here where normal rules don't apply. But, yeah, she doesn't. Doesn't bat a fucking eye. Doesn't bat an eye. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's something for a whole other movie. <laughs> that's a psychology, yeah. The, we, well, we, again, if we get volume well, three, well, there well, it is. We'll learn. Well, our volume three has already been um, yes. laid out. So Mr. Exactly. Tarantino needs to, uh, you know, I can't yeah. imagine him struggling with ideas, but, you know. <laughs> you never know. Well, you know, what she says to Nikki obviously led us to um, our discussion about the Kill Bill 3, didn't it? Absolutely. So... It's great that he sets it up. Like he sets up a possible sequel in the opening five, ten minutes of a film. It doesn't have to pay off. Like we may never pay off. It, who knows? Maybe we'll pay off in literature or something like that down the road. But he did leave it there for us as the viewers to think about and for himself to, you know, as we discussed in that episode of his birthday celebration, he originally was going to do it. He was going to wait 10 years and do it. But we're now coming up on 20 years next year from this film coming out. So who knows? Who knows what he's going to do with it? But it's always out there. It's always lingering in the ether. It's Uma Thurman's best role 
and the one she's most known for. She's great in Pulp Fiction, but this what a great character. Kill Bill is her. It's her movie. The Bride is her. Few people get to put a character on screen that they're known for forever. Yeah. That's iconic, and this one definitely hers. You know, who else could have really? Could you have envisioned pulling that off? Well, no, because her and QT, her and Quentin were the ones who came up yeah. with it during the filming of Pulp Fiction. So, yeah, but still, there it, was even, no one else, even without that knowledge. You know. It's hard to imagine anyone else, especially now, admittedly, but it's hard to imagine anyone else being able to pull that off. Agreed. I can't visualize anyone else but, but her now. You know, she's totally, like you say, you know, she totally made it her own. Just like, you know, you can't imagine anyone else playing Vincent Vega, you know? Agreed. He, he knows what he's doing with his cast. He fucking knows. <laughs> And that will do it for our first of two Bible studies in this action-packed month. I would once again like to thank my special guest, the amazing Steve Smith of the Way Past School Podcast, for joining me this week. He will be back again in two weeks to discuss another kick-ass mano-a-mano fight scene, this one from Volume 2, as Beatrix Kiddo squares off with L Driver. But before then, Ryan Rebalkin, host of the Rocky Series Podcast, the worst of the best podcast, and it's a long road, the Rambo Series Podcast returns, this time to help me dissect and discuss Kill Bill Volume 2. Now you can find the link to Steve's podcast and his socials in the show notes, and as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following us on all our socials, which can be found in the show notes as well. So until next time, this has been the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.